Hello, Bill. Hey, good morning, Ernie. Good morning. Actually, technically, yeah, it's all good morning. You're right. <laughs> Have you, I don't think we've done the audio podcast. We usually do the YouTube channel for our conversation. Right. Audio works really well today because I'm going in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sometimes unless you want to get really real. Unless you want to get really real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shoot, sometimes shoot, I feel like my life is turning into the Truman Show. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I love it. You you make a great, great uh, sequel. That I thought you say make a great Jim Carrey. Yes, I forgot his name. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. so the um, maybe the title we'll go with is constructivist leadership. So this is a phrase that Steve threw out. Yeah, I like the constructivist. Let's let's go with that. Yep. Yeah, and uh, the the general idea. Uh, I was actually reading another book by Rick Joyner, and he talks about how in the kingdom of God, the people who look like leaders are the worst possible leaders for this time, because wow. you generally want wow. leaders who are sure of themselves and will tell other people what to do. Wow. And in, in the new season, what you really want is leaders who can raise up other people to lead. Yeah, I've heard that theory, sure. Yeah, and it's a... I mean, like, frankly, I worked at General Electric, so I understand that, yeah. Been there, done that 35 years Right, ago. yeah, so the, the, the problem, of course, is, you know, my enemy du jour is hierarchical systems. And that if you do some hierarchical zero-sum mindset, there's always one guy on the top. And so there's always a certain level of zero-sum thinking and rivalry going on. Whereas yeah. if you have an emergent network, you can have multiple domains of expertise and leadership that don't directly compete with each other. Or if they yeah. do, it's a it's a sort of a fair fight rather than a political yeah. fight. Yeah. This, this actually this actually. Oops, sorry, I lost you there. Uh, um, they they use the term uh, a rhizome. It's it's so it's non hierarchical. So. Uh, this is in contrast to the tree metaphor. So it's like grass, you pull up a bunch of grass. It's connected to almost every other piece there, but not in a hierarchical way. But things grow and flourish, and so the rhizome is just a term that this foster has been using right. for years. I know what rhizome means, but our listeners may not. Maybe you could explain that a little bit more, what a rhizome Oh, no, is. I'm not, it's a foster, so give me another 10 years here. Yeah. But it's just like a tree, and there's no limit, right? A tree has limits. It's just always going to have a top crown. It's always going to have these roots here. It's just it's kind of this pretty fixed model. And the rhizome is much more opportunistic, flexible. It's not clear who's on top. The mass amount of networking has interesting benefits. I mean, it just sort of sounds like an open system. Can you give an example of the rhizome? Like, is it a fungus? Is uh, it a molecule? No, no, grass. What you call it? Grass. What? Grass. Grass. Oh, grass. No, okay. Grass. Grass. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe, but. Right. I used to talk about fractals. Maybe it's tied into that fractal stuff a bit as well. But fractal doesn't. Yeah, I mean, trees are fractals in some sense, but fractal, I don't know which way to take that. Rhizomes are non-hierarchical fractals, I guess. Correct. Yeah, it's not so much like 
Something bigger has layers from inside it. That's so the Russian doll sort of model that sometimes is out of fractals. So the interesting thing for me is this, um, switch on to the headphones here, um, is um, that um, I've, I've been praying about like the, just the tensions of wanting to find a concrete way to move forward, not wanting to make this a top-down thing. And the most interesting idea I've had so far is uh, the return of, of truth balls and the idea of turning the next season of the Great Reset into a fishbowl, which you were part of, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah, yeah. Oh, sure, yeah I wish I, I continued. Yeah. I, wish, I wish we had continued. I, a lot of interesting progress with that approach, yes. Yeah, and what's interesting was that the, the place that Truth Bowl kind of foundered, or maybe found itself, was around the idea of um, <clears throat> motivation. And I realized that truthful, like a lot of education, is built on this weird academic status game where you can get students to go through a lot of stuff. And then trying to translate that out of the academic context was a lot harder than I thought. In particular, like I can do it because I have a lot of intrinsic motivation and a massive ego, but it wasn't necessarily something that would or even should translate to other people. But the one exception was uh, founders or people who are trying to start a movement or have a burning passion they would be willing to go through something like this uh, when, because a lot of them care more about becoming right than being right, if that makes sense. Still there? Did I lose you? I hit a... Still there, Bill? I guess I can monologue for a bit and hope you get back on. All right, doing my little drop off here for recycling things uh, to Goodwill, which I guess is what we're doing with Truthful. And then. Thank you. In the interest of avoiding TMI, I won't ask exactly what happened, but I'm glad you're back. Um, so where do we drop off? I was talking about uh, Truth Bowl and Fish Bowl. Yeah, I, I said I based on teacher power relationships. Yeah. No, I, I said I like the truth. Something based more on intrinsic motivation. Yeah. Okay. You were saying why it's motivation, but I didn't hear the whole statement. Sorry. Oh, yeah. So the idea that, um, you know, 
truthful and ethical were based around the sort of academic environment where there's this status game you're playing, where you're seeking approval of these authority figures. Yep, I and that did not that. translate well. Yeah, and so I the idea that, yeah. is that in Fishbowl, you have uh, founders or people who want to do something, and they're pitching it not for the approval necessarily, but precisely because they have this thing that they feel a sense of ownership around, and they care more about becoming right than being right, Correct. which is a very unusual frame of mind for human beings uh, in general. And so finding one of those points. So the problem I've been wrestling with, with um, actually, you know, it's funny, you've done object-oriented software before, right? The, the what before? You've done object-oriented software before? Oh, yeah. Right. And so one of the interesting tensions in this world of, you know, object-oriented is how you uh, kind of methodologies for how you reuse functionality among different pieces of code. Is there yeah, two different fact, models? Basically, basically factoring. Yeah, I think there's issues with it, but yeah. Well, yeah, but specifically one of the interesting discussions or, or uh, trade-offs is between, or two schools of thought. One is class-based inheritance. The other is prototype-based inheritance. Right. And and the interesting idea, the difference about that, like JavaScript, for example, you don't really have normal classes, which annoys a heck of a lot of people in different ways. So you have to basically copy the behavior each time you create a new version, uh, which is yeah. very much like the way genetics operates and ribosomes. Yep. Although and, although they, um, did, they did they did they did add it to ES6 latest versions. Right, because everyone everyone likes to think that way, and there are certain efficiency advantages of it. But I think that's kind of the general rule, is that hierarchical systems are much more efficient, but they're less resilient because of it. And the right. alternative is a prototype-based system where each individual carries their full copy. It's very much like a fork, right? And you can leave it unchanged and just use it as is, or you can hack it up the way you want without screwing up other people. And this idea of, I was thinking, oh, rather than me trying to tell people what they should and shouldn't do, what I could do is I could do the first fishbowl with everything I've learned from all the, you know, the year doing Truthbowl and pitching as an entrepreneur. But rather than saying right. you must do this or you can't do this, I say, okay, here's what I've done. Uh, you have experienced it now. Now you go and do your own version of it. And you can, all my stuff is open source. You can grab it and steal it and adapt it to your own needs. And, yeah, this uh, reminds me of the theme you had earlier, right? Because you had this theme earlier on in terms of, you know, this is how far we got and this is where we messed up. And I think this is in the context of parenting or something. Yeah. It's about everything. Scripture. Uh, it, was, it was about Adam and Eve and uh, oh, yeah, Adam yeah, yeah. versus Eve, Adam versus Cain and Abel, and Adam versus Seth. Right. And I mean, the, that, was the, yeah. that was the remarks when said that, like, the Jewish religion is unlike any other because they would document their failures. Yeah. And I think that was the... Um, so what's interesting is that I've been thinking about the opposite of hierarchy being a network, but the other way to think of the opposite of a hierarchy is as a prototype. Um, yeah. And good. so it's, it's a different metaphor than I've been explaining. And... Uh, I appreciate talking well, with you because you are geeky enough to get it on both levels. Yeah, and I mean it sort of ties into our our chat discussion this morning that Jesus was a prototype, but we will do even greater, right? Yeah, you know that's a really 
juicy statement that I know Ted is very fond of, and I, I am too. Um, and it's interesting, right? Because that implies what is heresy in some circles is that we have to do something different than what Jesus did uh, because of the context in which Jesus was operating. Yeah, I mean, it's all over the map how people interpret that verse, but most people don't believe it. It's like, no, he's Jesus. We'll, we'll never, we're just worms, no way. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, cool. it's really weird, isn't it? That it's actually possible to idolize Jesus in an unhealthy way, even though he well, is that, not. I mean, you don't, you don't have to go that far. I mean, we do that with St. Paul, we do it with any disciples, and probably do it with Balaam's ass, right? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, one of the interesting things I'm still conflicted by is that it made a lot of sense for Jesus to teach because he actually knew absolute truth and knew what was in the hearts of everyone listening. Um, I'm at least in this season, like, I just can't teach. <laughs> you know, at least not in any traditional role or format, because right. it just feels like what you know but what i know even if i think it's true and important may not be the most relevant thing and may not be where our listeners are where they need to hear it so this idea of prototyping and exemplifying things for other people to learn from as they see fit feels a lot more authentic i mean maybe that maybe the circle will come around at some point where i will actually be cruel enough that i can authentically do that but yeah i'm right in a season where i'm probably no, feeling about teachers the way you feel about leaders yeah well i mean you know it's just get frustrated when you say hey we need to disciple people can you drop that Krishnese and just say teach you know yeah but i really like actually the way that um eric of all people who's relatively new to our group said we have to make sure that we are making disciples of jesus and disciple-izing them rather than making disciples of ourselves. Uh, yeah, but I mean, just your run-of-the-mill teacher isn't trying to make the student disciple the teacher. So, well, is that true or is it? Because my understanding is that the run-of-the-mill teacher, their, their implicit assumption is that I am full of the correct knowledge and my students are empty vessels that I am into and to be fair there's two different words for teach in different languages one is the sort of the picture of pouring a vision or molding someone in your image the other is the, is the metaphor of pointing to something like hey we're walking through the forest you know that's a rose bush that's a deadly spotted lizard and so i think teaching in the sense of pointing out things and helping people understand the names and the categories that exist in the real world uh in a in a situated cognition sort of sense I actually think it's a really powerful thing, but the, I am the one who knows the truth and you are the ignoramuses that I must correct. Uh, I have an allergic reaction to that, but apparently my phone did too. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the first one sounds like you can just get it from a book. And so a live human, but it's probably different. In, in, in interactive experience, in the rabbi experience, let's say, I think it's different from that first thing. This is a tree, this is a frog. Hello? Uh, yes, I'm here. I'm in, the I'm internet in is difficult. In yeah, well, I'm also stepped into the target. I'd like to have no cell signal. Yeah, I'm a target. It's, so that, it's cool here. It's I cool guess I'm here. off target. Anyway. Yeah, oh, so what I wanted to say was, so that first 
Um, teaching experience sounds to me like you could get that from a book or an augmented reality app. This is a frog, this is a tree. But then if you're doing an interaction with a live human, the rabbi, that's a different type of teaching. But how is it different? What does that, we're probably talking about the latter. Right. Yeah, but I think to me the real question is what is the purpose of education? And the purpose of sharing, I mean, is, is education a prototype or is it conformant? Okay. Well, I can, right, I can you know, share one example. Here's, here's a sure. concrete example. So my daughter this month has a project before she takes her nice fun trip back to Vermont. Uh, she has to spin up a online two-way interactive master class platform for Broadway musicians to teach younger Broadway musicians. So your master class, you're not saying sing like me. It's like, um, wow, that's great. Why you try more of this? You try more of that. You know, maybe they're trying to make them emulate, but this is a different. You no, know, it's not. You know, disciple me, become a clone of me. Yeah, well, I love master classes, right? Where the guys are trying to master a skill or a technique. Uh, it's, it's actually yeah. funny. I, I, I was saying but, that. But so they're um, shaping. They're trying. They're trying to get that person's style to come out, right? It's different than sorry, saying what? you need to. They're trying to get that person's unique style to come out. Right. They're not yeah, saying, you know, hey, I, you want to play drums, you have to play like Ringo the exact same way, right? Not, not yet. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this, that I was saying that, you know, if, we could, if I could make a magic wand, which would be a bad idea, and change everything, I would get rid of almost everything in education except history, art, and technique. Like, right. I think it's really useful to, to learn history, even though you, we have to understand our biases. It's really important to, to express art, to find our own voice. And it is actually really useful to learn techniques uh, because those are skills that are transferable and can be remixed in interesting and different ways. And it's just uh, content and facts that I get allergic to, even though there certainly is a place and time yeah, for that. But, but we know every school now is trying to teach creation, ideation, right? I was actually Design on thinking, train. Design thinking, I was on a train and I was traveling across country and I sat next to a Chinese professor and he said, I'm here to study how to teach Chinese students to be more creative. And he says, it's kind of funny because I see a bunch of Americans coming to China to teach them how to do drill and kill math better. It's like two ships passing in the night. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder the question is, you have to teach a kid how to, Chinese how to be creative without getting imprisoned. Yeah. yeah right, just like if, like, I mean, this is the same problem with, with schools is that it's hard to teach creativity when it's become a mandate that you must teach them a certain way. Um, there's a lot of yeah. conflicting Although, imperative oh, and I, role models. I wonder if I wonder if I wonder if Nelson Mandela would completely agree with you about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one could argue there are some advantages to being in prison, um, but there. Or by bon, um, Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer, or St. Paul, or yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I think one of the interesting things for me though is actually, um, someone once said, "Kids don't learn; they do, and when they do, they learn." And it's actually rarely, it is actually hard to get kids excited about learning, but it's actually easy to get kids excited about doing. And one of the more interesting uh, design patterns I'm trying to exploit is this idea that Steve has been pitching about doing great work uh, from Nehemiah. And I love that picture, which I'm crazy with it, and saying, you know, hey, let us um focus on helping people figure out what their great work is that they feel god is calling them to do and once they do that 
that in itself will draw forth creativity and grit and all these other things we say we value. And that makes it easy then for them to, to help them pull whatever content and skills and even community that they need to accomplish that great work. And that was actually the last thing I wanted to ask you about was that you could say you want to know like the time frame or the model to use for discipleship. Well, that's just Phil trying to play Ernie, <laughs> Mr. Metric. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I think the, 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 uh, the one metric I care about, uh, since you asked, is vision virality. Is when people get this is a like vision. like the pandemic, pandemic spread quotient ratio, whatever. The R0, yeah. The R0, yeah. Uh, R0, very much yeah. like that. Is that, is that. And that's like, like one of my happiest moments was when Steve said, you know, I've been wanting to do X. And then this last week, I realized I really want to do Y. And, yeah. you know, this is deja vu for me. This is deja vu for me because, you know, the first time I met Mike Parkin, that's exactly yes. what Mike put on his presentation was this one to ten to ten, and then in three years we can have the whole world, right? Basic math. Well, the exponential growth, yeah. So the, um, and by the way, you know, we but are yeah, going to get. He was, you, but he was serious about it. He was deadly serious about it. I've never seen a Christian be that deadly serious about it. Yeah. And uh, so three years in, it is about three years in, isn't it? Yeah. What have you learned? Uh, well, I want Mike to talk to us about that. But now continue. Can we bring Mike that's in? Right. To... Yeah, that's a good, that's maybe, a good, maybe. that's a good, yeah. I mean, in my circle. He has yeah, in my circle. Right. Yeah, hopefully he's, yeah. Yeah, in my circle, because I hang out with, with, with startup people, even startup Christians, everyone has exponential dreams. Uh, the hard part is figuring out. And I think part of the reason is precisely this, is that I want people to jump on board with my vision, uh, but they're not me. And so the interesting question is, okay, how do I jump on board with their vision in a way that will accomplish mine by helping them accomplish theirs. And I think that's actually the oh, that's um, good. Sounds good. The, 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 the new, uh, at least the new path we're going to take. So anyway, I'm feeling good about this. I think there's the fact that Steve teed that up, uh, makes it like not just a me thing. Um, yeah. Last oh, bit, no. I guess, since no. I'm asking you questions is have you, have you heard about the Salesforce V2 mom model? No. Okay, so they're they're you know it's it's one of these you know like vision statements or you know we had purpose objectives goals and actions and when I was in university uh, Ted suggested pop but what I love about V2 Mom is that it's vision values methods obstacles and metrics and the thing I liked about that was that it explicitly focuses on obstacles what can go wrong. And that's usually the most painful part of learning that the most traditional uh, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, executive decision-making things just okay. you know, never so really I, I, front head on. Right. So here's the fun thing. I haven't heard the model, but that's what um, Mike and I built into our model. It came late in the game. It's like, oh, and by the way, maybe the most important thing, actually I'll say it, I think the most important thing 
is to know how to deal with conflict. If you naively go in thinking we got this perfect system, everyone's going to be happy, there's not going to be some, uh, some strong different viewpoints, you know, you're going to fail right away or soon. And then the insight is that those disagreements, is where, that's where the life is. So, the, you know, uh, definitely, I think the, definitely, probably the definitely inverted model, definitely a 180 model, upside down pyramid sort of model, whatever cliche you want to use. It's almost right. like well, it's at, much, um, right, like at Google, the 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 VP of HR they had for a while, she was hired out of Stanford to make sure that you never felt going into work and seeing out your cubicle that you were really confident you know what your day is going to be look like. So she was putting in policies to disrupt, decenter, and this and that, because that's where the innovation came from. Like the chaos monkey at Netflix, which screws yeah. up their servers uh, uh, in a way to keep everyone honest. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, it's really much, very much the GitHub model of authority, which is that the but, only but, thing we agree but, on is that everything is subject to change, and that we have a right, process but, for that. Okay, so I think, I think the Christian approach is better. It's like, go to that enemy, and love them. So it's not just be prepared in case the enemy shows up. It's like you go to those breaches, you go to those various hostilities. Right, it's what I call the ruby is. rule. It, it, it's how we love the yeah. other that is actually the most important part of our identity yeah, rather than like pushing away the other as the source of our identity. Something like that. All right. Yeah. All right. I should probably wrap this up and find spaghetti. All right. So. Thanks. What's uh, anything yeah. else on your side? No, it's, it's good. I'm enjoying the chats. Um, but I, yeah, we'll talk as a group more about that. What's the CO word? The the title? The, the, something. The what, what was the title? No, no, the, the title of this podcast, the Steve's word. Oh, um, oh uh, charcuterie? No, that's the, that's the word. <laughs> no, I'm hungry now. No, it's like co co creating, co co evolving. Co constructing. Constructive leadership. Yeah. Constructivist yeah. leadership. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and the other thing All I right. like is um, the other. Maybe, I like the the other uh, takeway is your, I might go you with just mentioned. I might, yeah. I might go with prototypical leadership. That's probably more on point. Yeah. And okay. It'd be yeah, interesting just to have that. Just saying that tends like, to see yeah, it. Key. And the other thing. one was this, the other thing was the thing you mentioned at the end about. Um, similar goals, but they don't have to be identical. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, the one thing we talked about was having a common vision and overlapping missions. Right. So, all right. Um, great. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for your Good perseverance. Talk. It's the multiple right. connections, and we will talk soon. Be cool. Bye. Bye.